I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today I'm talking to Anthony and San Galang from Honolulu, Hawaii. They met in the Bay Area and went on to the mission team to Manila, Philippines, and later led ministries in Thailand, Los Angeles, and most recently, Hawaii. Listen as they share how they met, what it was like giving up medical careers for the ministry, and what their secret is to raising a spiritual family. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no-regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I hope you're planning on going to the CLIMB Small Church Leadership Conference in Dallas, Texas, November 30th through December 3rd of 2023. It's going to be a fantastic time. If you're a grower, if you're a planter, if you're a leader, you need to go to this conference. We're going to have leaders from around the country and around the world coming sharing their ideas, and we're going to be talking about how to break through log jams, bottlenecks, obstacles that are holding us back from expanding the kingdom of God. It's going to be an amazing time. So please look forward to that, and please get registered soon. As soon as we have our registration up, it's going to be up soon. Today on the, on the podcast, I have Son and Anthony Galang interviewed by myself and my wife, Pam. And I'm really looking forward to this because I went to school with Anthony. We were actually converted within a couple months of each other at UC Berkeley in the Bay Area. And I've known Anthony, of course, since we were young Christians. He was a little bit older than me, just a couple years. And he's always been a huge inspiration to me as an older brother. He went on to plant the church in Manila, Philippines with his wife, Son. They led to the church there, and it's inspiring to hear their story and what they're sharing. So please look forward to joining my wife and myself as we talk to Son and Anthony Galang. Son and Anthony, welcome to the program. Aloha. Great to be with you guys. <laughs> it's Go great, Bear. great to, I know. It's, it's great to have that connection. UC Berkeley. Go Bears. Keeps me humble for all the sports years. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> They've let me down consistently year after year. I can count on it. I know. Many years I've, I've thought, okay, this is the year the football team is going to do great, and they'll start really strong and just tank halfway through the season. I know. It's, I know. You can pretty much bank on it. Mm-mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. back in the day, I used to think, well, it's because people are so smart at UC Berkeley, you can't get good football players because the <laughs> academics are so high. But then Stanford started winning, mm-hmm. and I thought, uh-oh, okay, they're taking away our excuse here. I know. I I don't know. I don't have any more excuses anymore. <laughs> I don't either. I I've, I've become a fan of men and women swimming and rugby. Yeah, you know? there you go. That's right. That's right. But don't forget Aaron Rodgers. I know. You know. How'd you guys become Christians? <laughs> well, uh, Son became a Christian before I did, so maybe you can yeah, share. I'll start. So I was a junior in college. I was at the University of San Francisco. I was a nursing student and I was dating back then. And my friends started going to Bible studies at San Francisco State. 
And I tell you what, he came back super different with deep convictions. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty impressive. And uh, I started going to church with him to bring him back to our church, our big denominational church. But as we can see, the word of God went over all those traditions. So, yeah, I became a Christian my junior year college. Wow. Yeah, for me, I actually became a Christian my last year in college, and I was an RA in the dormitories. Uh, little plug, that's a great way to get through college, get the free <laughs> room board. Uh, but I, I actually had a... Uh, uh, a uh, bad relationship in college and I was coming from uh, a relationship that was very ungodly and uh, very immoral and um, it uh, really hit a, a rock bottom point where I really started meeting and searching for God and uh, lo and behold my boss in the dorms was a disciple her name was Jackie Lewis oh Jackie I don't know if you remember her Rob oh yeah I think I think Jackie was the first person I remember giving me a hug when I came to church the first time. Oh, wow. <laughs> she had a huge hug. I mean, just just she sure all, did. All encompassing, just just pulled you in. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she had a huge hug, infectious smile, um, incredible spirit, and you know, I would go. Uh, she was my boss, and she, you know, I would go and confide with her and tell her about all my problems and what I was going through. And um, she introduced me to a couple campus ministers, Doug Beatty and Eddie Marquez. Mm. Wow. And they came over and started studying the Bible with me. And, you know, back then it was like, you're, you're studying Bible really fast if you have a study once a week. And, uh, and they set those things up and took me many months to become a Christian. It took me six months to study the Bible. Uh, I grew up in a, a large denominational Catholic faith, and I wasn't a good Catholic whatsoever, but uh, uh, it took me a lot to kind of give all those traditions and rituals up uh, to uh, find loyalty in the Word of God. So, yeah, that's how I became a Christian uh, back in 1986. Okay, what wow. month in 1986? That was February 21st. 1986. Okay, so we got baptized within just a couple months of each other because I was baptized April 4th, 1986. Wow, man, Doug Beatty must have been so far. Right. I mean, it was crazy. (laughs) There were tons of people getting baptized that that I looked, I I talked to Tom Brown recently over in Georgia and he pulled out a bulletin. It was blow away to see all those names. It was crazy. And is amazing. Okay, so you're baptized then. You were a senior? I was a senior, yes. Okay, I was a junior at that time. Okay, great. What about you, Son? I was a junior. Okay. Actually, Doug Beatty counted the cost with me too. He, We studied sin with Doug back then. The guys would study with the girls too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. A little humbling because my you know, my boyfriend had already been baptized, so I couldn't really lie about my sin and my past and my <laughs> but, Um, Yeah, good times. But, you know, being a college student in San Francisco and watching just a Berkeley ministry grow like crazy, 
Even San Francisco State, that also began mm -hmm. to grow quite a bit. Right. Um, it was amazing times to see the number of college students getting baptized. Right. Yeah. Now, when were you baptized? You may have said it already. 1984. Oh, 84. Okay, before. so you're baptized a couple of years before that. Okay, great. Now, Anthony, let's talk a little bit about that time. What was your experience at Cal? Like, how, how did you view things? I've shared about this before, but what was your view of the campus ministry and your time there? Yeah, it was an amazing time. Um, you know, becoming part of the church there with Tom Brown, Tom Snyder, Tom Marks, Luigi Lisi. You know, he was a, a Church of Christ preacher there. Uh, I had never heard the Word of God preached quite like uh, I was hearing and it really drew me in and attracted me and I just remember the the passion and the spirit of um, the young zeal uh, wanting to do greater things in life and you know we all go to college because we want to try to find a way that we can make a difference in life and I, I sense that from the campus ministry I think when we were all part of that that campus ministry Rob there were well over a hundred disciples from the Berkeley campus ministry. Right. Yeah. Right. I just remember the, uh, the, the, the passion the sacrifice, the dreams mm -hmm. of winning the world. Um, and that's the very reason why, uh, I gave up med school because that was the time in my life where I, I had to make a decision. Uh, I got accepted to a couple of med schools and, I really had to pray about, you know, what is the calling that God has for me. Mm. So, yeah, I just love those times. I love the the public preaching and mm -hmm. sprawl. I love the, you know. The you know. internships and you guys would spend the night at the Dan and Durant building and have <laughs> crazy times running around with Garrett Jenner and I know Garrett it. Marquez, yeah. yeah. Um, Mark Steiner. All those guys. Oh and yeah, we'd have those uh, Rocky Balboa nights with the brothers sleepovers, and we'd <laughs> drink raw eggs in the morning to you know make ourselves tough. Uh, but those were those are great great memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It was awesome. I remember just you know after church we would go from the Dan and Durant building and walk over to Sproul Plaza and do public preaching. I remember Ed Marquez on the steps there, the bookstore preaching. And it was really fun. It was exciting. Never knew what to expect. But one thing you could count on is there's always going to be baptisms. There were baptisms all the time. It mm -hmm. just seemed like automatic. Just seemed like it's just, you know, I, I know a lot of work went into it. But from my view as a young Christian, it's like people are just wide open, becoming Christians right and left. <laughs> right, you you right. know, let's talk a little bit about that. You were going to become a doctor but you gave it up. Okay. Do you, do you ever regret not becoming a doctor? Um, yeah, honestly, um, not, not really. And what I say by that is, um, um, cause one, I would have been in, in a lot more school debt if I had gone, you know, <laughs> <laughs> if I chose that path, but, um, I've certainly had moments over the last going on 38 years of being a disciple. I've, I've had moments of imagining what it would have been like to be a doctor, a Christian mm -hmm. doctor. Um, 
but in terms of regrets, I, I really don't genuinely have any regrets. I mean, I've definitely thought of uh, during the difficult times of ministry, well, I should have been a doctor I, or I should have just gone to my hometown and sold cookies. You know, I, I, <laughs> I would have been fine with that. Uh, but um, I've always wanted to help people. And I, I, I've told myself that God has helped me uh, to become a spiritual physician and not just a physical one. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's helped me to keep persevering in what I've been doing. But, mm -hmm. and I, you know, I, I, uh, I desire those days where people, young people are giving up careers again, right. you know, mm -hmm. to serve in the right. ministry and yeah. go on missions. Um, I, I sense that that spirit is, is coming back, but that was, that was the spirit back when we were, disciples in the campus ministry yeah. give up everything go anywhere oh, do yeah. anything yeah it felt like back then we were all dreaming mm -hmm. you know i remember the munich church going out they're trying to plant the manila church you go to boston it was just like wow this is amazing but it felt like the mission was greater than ourselves mm -hmm. that's what it felt like it's like sure i'll i'll, I'll give this up the mission's greater mm -hmm. god's mission is greater than what i'm doing right now yeah yeah so how did you make that decision? You're a senior. You just got baptized. Like, how did it, how did you come to that crossroads roads where you had to decide? Like, were you thinking about going to the ministry? I mean, you'd just become a Christian. So, like, what led you to go away from the medical field? I mean, that was literally a month, months, right? You went into the ministry? Wow. You were baptized? Well, I was given the opportunity to be an intern there at the Berkeley Church, uh, you know, later that year, 1986. And, but that was the same time that I'd gotten, you know, accepted to a couple schools. And when I became a Christian, I I wrote, you remember the days where we'd have to actually type a letter with a typewriter? I had to type, <laughs> letter, lick a stamp and mail it to the dean of the medical school in Chicago and it was basically a request that I'd like to see if I could defer my enrollment for another year. Uh, and thankfully, he accepted that, and I was deferred enrollment. But as I started growing just as a young Christian and just gathering more dreams of how my life could be used and where could I serve God and how could I serve God, my heart for medicine really started declining. And my passion grew more and more for this is how my life can make the big, biggest difference in people's lives eternally, spiritually, helping them find God. And so the time came for me to decide whether I was going to enter that deferred class or not. And so I wrote the, the dean of the medical school again and basically communicated to him that I'd like you, thank you for accepting me, but I've, I've found uh, a better way for my life. And I'd like you to give up my spot for someone else who really wants to go. Wow. And I remember mailing wow. it in the mailbox <laughs> and, and it was a, it was a mark in my time, a mark in life where I wasn't going to go chasing after the mailman to mm. get that letter back. <laughs> It was, a, it was a, a stake in the ground, a, a step of faith yeah. that said, God, yeah. my life is in your hands. My direction is in your hands. And 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 that's when I decided um, that, you know, medical school was not going to be the path for me. And and soon after I got the opportunity to, you know, be an intern 
and it just went from there. Yeah. So awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, talking about that time, you were you were quite an athlete, as I recall. Um, you know, there was, of course, a lot of people there, but I remember you, didn't you play squash and tennis? I mean, what, can you tell me a little bit about your athletic background? Yeah, I, I competed in a number of sports growing up, uh, judo uh, and then junior tennis in California. But then I, I just got tired of losing to the same guys every week in <laughs> tennis. So I got burned out real fast. And, but that those skills carried over into college. And um, I, I discovered the game of squash uh, in college. And so, yeah, I played for the Berkeley team uh, there. And that was a that was a joy. It was actually the, the time in which I was studying the Bible too, and learning how to become a Christian. And I remember I got baptized on a Friday night, like about 11 o'clock at night uh, at the Dane and Durant building (laughs) and uh, church leaders there. It was freezing cold baptistry there. You probably remember that, Rob. Yep. That's that's where I was baptized too. The next morning, uh, the squash team left for uh, the East Coast. Uh, to go play in the intercollegiate. So we played about six different colleges back East. But I remember back then the spirit was, oh no, this young Christian, Anthony, you're leaving on a trip. You oh no, he's going to fall away. <laughs> how, how are you going to do this? And, and so I remember uh, flying out of San Francisco, People's Express. You guys remember that airline? Oh, that's right, People's Express. Sure. <laughs> And so I just remember being a new Christian flying to New York and all those Pennsylvania, everything like that. And, and I remember, um, uh, it, it, I, I really didn't, I wanted to be on this trip, but I didn't want to be on this trip. I wanted to be back and just, just grow spiritually. And, and so, uh, it was just a, a, a funny trip. I remember the first service was at the central park church of christ when steve and lisa johnson were preaching and i remember it was in february so i uh from the hotel i had to walk through central park all by myself in my ski jacket and just to try to find the central park church of christ i remember walking in not knowing anyone it was such a warm environment i sat in the front row I heard Steve Johnson preach. It was mind blowing. I was so inspired. After the after the sermon, you know, I went up to Steve and waiting in line, just introduced myself. Hey, I'm Anthony Glang from the Berkeley Church. Great job. Love, love, love this. And then I hugged him and and then I just kind of turned around and walked out. I didn't even fellowship because I didn't know anything. But I was a, a young Christian of two days. Wow. But uh, I just remember, you know, God, this is so incredible. And um so, yeah, that was that. I don't even know how why I threw that in there, but it was oh. just a memory yeah. of my early days and becoming a Christian. That's great. <laughs> and playing squash, playing on the team. That's mm. awesome. Now, you guys, how long have you been married? This year is 34 years. Ooh, wow. wow. Congratulations. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit? Yeah. How did you guys meet? Uh, who liked who first? Give, give us kind of the, the, the backstory on your relationship. <laughs> Okay. Uh, <laughs> you tell your story and okay. I'll tell mine. Right. We'll That's it, what we're hoping. See if it see if it works. So we were both interns in a church. Um, but you know how it was 
Well, I'm sure it's it's the same. There's always the 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 few single brothers everybody likes, and I remember thinking, I am not waiting in line for this guy, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> I am not. You know, everybody likes him. You know how that is. We're always talking the sisters in fellowship. Oh yeah, I can relate. Uh, yes. Yes. And so I remember he asked me on a date. It was one of those missions luncheon. Remember we had have a spaghetti luncheon to raise we were always raising money for missions we had a right. spaghetti luncheon and anthony and i went on the state and our double was my co-leader in the campus and we were best friends this brother so this brother and i talked and laughed the whole time even though anthony was my date and it just wasn't a very encouraging time sorry about that honey i i think i just wasn't interested back then and everyone was trying to push us together and i'm like no, he can't. There's all those other sisters. So you like me now? <laughs> <laughs> I love him now. I'm ball one now. Well, number two. I think I think it's funny. So yes, we met we met in church. Uh, again, Son's ex boyfriend brought her into church, and we we became Christians independently. And and so um, yeah, I mean, Son did not want to marry a Filipino guy at all. And so, lo and behold, I'm married to her and you giving her two Filipino boys. So. <laughs> it's a Filipino family. Um, yeah, but that's that's how we met. We met in we met in church. And I remember back then, uh, you know, dating and encouragement dates were really emphasized. And I didn't really want to I didn't want to date because I'd just come from a bad relationship and my understanding of dating was just still very worldly and i needed to be taught what what good pure wholesome building of relationships was all about and i remember the brothers we take out the old paper church directory, directory church directory <laughs> the brothers would go over every sister's single name you know and you should go uh, you know we just go through it and and you know the brothers would coach me and try to encourage me to go out on dates and and it was fun. It was fun learning how to do that. And but that's how we eventually. Yeah. Sam didn't like me. Our first date was horrible. We were both prideful towards towards each other, would not give. Second date was a little bit better. We ended up throwing rocks at each other at one point. But uh, you know, things things have worked out. Things have gotten better, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just realized we were compatible. We liked the same things, listened to the same music. Right. It was yeah. So can I ask, because you guys were single when you were asked to go to Manila, right? You were not married yet. Is that what I remember? Yeah. You were dating. You were dating. Yeah, we were dating. You were dating. Yeah, we were dating. This was back in 1989. We were dating by then, a uh, handful of months. And then we eventually got married, or not married, but engaged, engaged before we went on the Manila Mission team in 1989. Okay, so before we get into that, okay, I've got a couple more memories. I remember... Anthony, you were always really quiet. I remember thinking this guy is super quiet and super spiritual, like Mr. Holy. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I can totally imagine you being a doctor, just cool hand Luke, you know, just keeping that scalpel, just like in the perfect position. But I definitely remember. And I also remember, you know, I thought, whoa, you were a little bit older. And I just, I thought I really looked up to you because I thought this guy is really composed and quiet and spiritual. And I remember now, 
this is where it gets fuzzy because I don't remember if I was actually there or if I heard Doug Beatty talk about it. He said that there was a couple that was fighting, uh, a man and a woman, and Doug said he didn't know what to do, but he said that you just stepped in and just calm them down immediately. Do you remember that story? You remember that incident? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I've never heard this story. This oh, is good. Yeah. I think you might have heard this story. Was but, it me? But, <laughs> wow, your impressions of me, that, Rob. Thank you of those great impressions. I I think it's more of back then. I didn't know how to express my emotions, and I was insecure and quiet. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> but. But uh, no, I do remember I was actually visiting Doug uh, and I was uh, parking underneath his apartment complex and I heard in the parking structure this woman screaming and just, uh, you know, the guy yelling. And so I walked around the corner to see what was going on. And this young college student, they were having an all out fight to the point where there was physical abuse going on. And um and I, I stepped in, I said, Hey, what's going on? Uh, you know, how can I help you? Or, you know, <laughs> in so many words. And, and so the guy, the guy turned to me not to fight me or anything like that, but he, he started kind of confessing kind of what was going on because they were they were, little did I realize they're in a bad breakup right now. And the guy did not want to break up with this girl and she wanted very much to. And so, uh, I was able to at least diffuse a little bit of the the emotional heightened, uh, you know, uh, the things that were going on. And I brought him outside. I sat him outside, um, kind of both of them. And I eventually talked to the guy and calmed him down. And, and, and yeah, they didn't continue hurting each other at that point. But that was right in front of Doug's apartment. Wow. Um, yeah. You still do that, honey. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but that... yeah, no, it was it was uh, it was it was a wild, you know, and I'm a, I'm another college student as well. It's like right. these are peers and it yeah. was just kind of crazy. That was uh, their part. To... Wasn't there apartment right there in college, like right right above the uh, intramural fields there across the street? Exactly where Doug used to live. Yeah, yeah. It's that, that apartment complex. Right. I right remember there. Doug telling me and, it, it, you know, he was blown away and that just heightened your stature in my eyes I'm like whoa that guy he's got like a calming influence in people's lives <laughs> he's courageous and another thing anthony were you at one point thinking about becoming a catholic priest a catholic priest no that, no no i don't think ever a catholic priest um my sister was going to become a Carmelite nun. But okay. I could have gotten confused. Okay. Well, the, the legend was growing. Okay. The legend was growing. Yeah. <laughs> Man, the myth. <laughs> okay. So can you guys just give a quick overview of your career in ministry? Where have you guys been? You want to? Yeah. So we became Christians in the Berkeley Church of Christ back then. We're interns. And then in 1989, they were forming the team to go to Manila, Philippines. And so we interviewed for that, um, helped form that team with uh, Preston and Sandy Shepard. And we were in Manila. Uh, eight, 28 of us on the Manila 28 team. young, uh, very young, probably the average age, 24. 
Yeah, we were like the spiritual bad news bears. We had a dream. We had a mission. We knew God had, you know, we were born Filipino for a reason. So we wanted to go and preach the word to our people. But uh, so we were there in 1989 in Manila for till about 92 and then we made a switch and we led Bangkok and John and while while we were in the Philippines President Sandy left we led the church for about a year and a half and then switched places with John and Emily Bringardner in Bangkok Thailand so we switched our dreams to Southeast Asia which was pretty awesome okay so wait a second so you were leading the church in the Philippines for a little while yeah, we led the church uh, after Preston and Sandy got called to go to San Francisco. And uh, so we led the Manila church for a little bit. Yeah. Okay, so what year was what year was that? I didn't realize that. That uh, was probably 91. 90, 91. It was 91. I was pregnant with Nick. Okay, so, so 91. How big was the church at that time? The church uh, was probably... Maybe 600, 700. Probably five, 600, something around oh there. Wow. And you guys are so young at that time. That's crazy. Right. No kids. Wow. No technology. No technology. Yeah. <laughs> we had teenagers. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's and, just that, you know, that Manila mission team, um, so certainly special. God did, God has prepared the Philippine nation in a special way. I mean, the Filipino people are, are, are very reverent of God, but. Yeah, that first year with 28 disciples, there were over 400 baptisms. Wow, and, gosh. And that didn't include all the hundreds of hundreds of more that studied the Bible and didn't decide yeah. to become Christians. And so it was an amazing, it was a special, special time uh, to see God moving. And I believe the work in the Philippines helped inspire, you know, more churches around the world to believe right. that the harvest is wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a very, very special time. Mm. Do you guys speak Tagalog? Uh, we speak food. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, no, we, we don't. I think, um, being American, they were so intrigued by these Americans giving up their, you know, their schooling, coming back to the Philippines. And so we're kind of an anomaly, but, um, yeah, not. We do speak food and, you know, we know how to get to the bathroom and sure. things like that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's interesting because when Preston and Sandy came back, they came back like a week or two after we got, or actually right when we got married, that's yeah. when they came back. That was August of 1990. Mm -hmm. And so that's when you guys took over the church, right? During that time? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah. Was the, yeah. that was the time. Wow. That oh my serious. gosh. I didn't yeah. see, I didn't realize that. I didn't know you guys were taking over the church. You guys were so young at that age. You're like 27 years old. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it is hard to imagine yeah. um, looking back. Like, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were young in our marriage, expecting our first child, but we relied on do we remember those discipleship magazines or disciple oh, yeah. magazines? Oh, yep. yes. Yes. <laughs> I would read that over and over any book we had. We, yeah, we, we needed help. Yeah. Mentors back then. Yeah. Mart, I think Marty Wooten was the editor of that discipleship magazine. Yeah. 
Marty. Oh, crazy. Wow. Yeah. It's so interesting. But it's something that I, I think it's, I, I've talked about before in the podcast, but back then people were younger and you led more earlier. I mean, you just, even though that's still remarkable, it wasn't out of the ordinary for a young person to lead a larger, larger church. I mean, it happened. It mm-hmm. happened with regularity. I mean, we were leading a church at like 25 and, and, mm-hmm. but to lead a church of 400 or 500 at 27, I just go today. It seems like, Oh my gosh, you guys were still in the cradle to, to be doing that. Right. But oh, that's yeah. exactly what it is. It's like throwing a baby into the pool without any floaters. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> but you had a lot of energy and a lot of faith. Okay, so you were there from August of 90 to, when did you go to, to Bangkok? That was um, in 92. 92. Sometime in 92, yeah. we uh, were asked to lead the church in Bangkok. And boy, what a wow. what an incredible adventure that is, as you guys know. And um, Amazing church. I think there's about 60 disciples when we got there. And uh, it it was amazing being in a Buddhist country. It was like teaching babies the the right way to become Christians. They mm-hmm. they weren't um, blank tape. Yeah, mm-hmm. they weren't crowded out by all these other um, denominations. It, it was it was an amazing time. Wow. It's yeah, a- so we were there for a year. Um, you know, Thailand reminds me a lot of the Corinthian church. Lots of idolatry lots of sin and it was it was uh, absolutely another miracle of god to see yeah. thai people become disciples amazing but a very endearing place to be they're very endearing people mm. the thai people mm. i think we actually speak a little bit more thai than tagalog yeah i'm going to like, ask you like yeah. thai food okay so can i ask so when sure. you made that switch so the bring gardeners went to the Manila and you guys went to Bangkok. Was it a sense like, Hey guys, now this is your mission. Like you're here in Thailand. Like, was that, or was it like, you're going to be here for a couple years to kind of make a transition? Or did you think, okay, this is now our country. Like these are going to be our people. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. Great question. Um, you know, when we moved to the Philippines, we really believed that was our last geographical destination just because we were convinced being Filipino, this was our life mission to stay there, to live there. And so when we were called to leave the Philippines, it really, I think um, we had to change our dreams. I mean, our dreams for the Philippines didn't necessarily die, but it's like, okay, what is God doing? So I think that's what we've had to do over our ministry career is when God has called us to move to different places, we've had to expand our heart and our dreams wherever he sends us and and so to answer your question yeah we had to start dreaming for thailand and southeast asia there was never a time frame given it was just like this is this is your mission this is your people so it was Mm -hmm. vietnam it was cambodia um it was you know we weren't there long enough to work with myanmar but it was taking on the southeast asian dream Mm. wow okay so how long were you there you're there a year in bangkok we were there for one year, almost yeah. one year exactly in Bangkok. Yes. Okay. And then what? And then after that, we were asked to move to the Los Angeles church in 93. Oh. Okay. Wow. Spring of 93, right around that time period. 
it was a time yeah. period where there was a lot of changes going yeah. Oh, around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kingdom, a lot of changes in 93. Yeah, Washington, yeah, DC, and it just kind of had a trickle effect. There seems there was a domino effect happening. Leaders yeah. were moving to different places and and we were, you know, we were we were kind of swept into those changes. And so yeah, it was very unexpected. But back then, you know, when you were asked, um, you you were more inclined to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah. I, I definitely remember that. And it was that very same time period. I think it started with a shift because Doug Arthur wanted to go to D.C. Russ, Russ wanted to San go to San Francisco. Shepherds went back Shepherds to went the back Philippines. To the Philippines at that time. Right. That impacted us. That impacted us. That's what brought us to Japan, right? During that time, we were yeah. in we were in San Francisco, mm-hmm. had been in the Northwest prior to that, and that brought us to Japan mm-hmm. so wow. with, with Frank and Erica Kim. So just a little sidebar. Okay. Yeah. Has anyone ever told you you look quite a bit like Frank Kim? <laughs> How often do you get that? <laughs> oh, that is so fun. I love it. And I love Frank Kim. We love Frank and Erica. <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you a funny story here, but um, yes, 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 I've gotten that uh, quite a bit, especially when Frank does a main speech at a conference. (laughs) I always get um, mistaken as Frank. And so we were at a, I don't remember what year it was, but it was a Boston conference and it was at the end of Sunday service and up until that point, I probably got mistaken as Frank probably about 10 to 15 times during that conference. <laughs> <laughs> and so after church on Sunday, I, uh, I I had such an identity crisis of who I was. <laughs> and so I remember deciding I am not going to take the, the tea back to the hotel with everyone else. I'm just going to walk home to the hotel. And so as I'm walking through the streets of Boston and the crowd starts to thin more and more, I get to a stoplight intersection and another brother is there beside me at the, the corner. And I turned to him, I said, Hey, um, do you know where the such and such hotel is? And he goes, yeah, I know where it is. I can, I can drive you. You want to ride? And I said, oh, okay, great. And so I get in his car and we were weaving through the streets of Boston, probably another 15 minutes to get to my hotel. And we stop at the front of the hotel. I say, hey, bro, thanks a lot for the ride. And then he goes, hey, has anyone ever told you you remind people of Frank Kim? <laughs> and, I, and I just look at him from the passenger seat. And I said, yes, yes. People have told me I, I'm just like Frank Kim. And I just thanked him. I didn't go into the explanation at all or anything like that. And so that was that. But Frank and I have had a hoot you know, with this over the years to, to the point where Frank and I actually exchanged our name tags for a day at one of the conferences. Oh, oh my gosh. Just to mess people up. So oh, that is so funny. It is, <laughs> That's it is, hilarious. A, uh, it is a, an honor is, to be mistaken. Yes. As Frank. Yeah. Okay. So you're in LA and tell me what, what happened? Yeah. What was where, that like? What was it like between 93 and then 2012? Wow, yeah, we were there for a long time. We were time. there for 20 yeah. years. Yeah. But we wow. started off in the central region, mm-hmm. which was super fun. It was Glendale area, Pasadena, and 
We are going to help lead uh, the region and USC. And poor Anthony, you know, coming from Berkeley, all these Pac-12 schools that now he had to give his heart to. But uh, so we worked with the students there, which was just a blast. We I just, think we are there. We baptize them longer at these other Pac-12 <laughs> schools. We just leave them under the water a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was fun. And, and, you know, Kip had asked us to come to L.A., because they needed some Asian leadership and he had a vision of having like an Asian region region or Asian sector. And so we tried that probably the best food, best potlucks ever, but the language, the different languages was pretty hard to, uh, to translate. You know, we had Korean, we had Chinese, we had Mandarin, we had Tagalog, we had Japanese. So that really didn't work out well, but it, it was fun being in the central for about five years, I believe. It was five, seven years we were there. Yeah, I mean, um, our time in L.A., I think, was uh, another learning whirlwind time uh, for us as Christians. Uh, I remember, you know, coming from Asia and then coming to L.A., um, you know, I learned how different church families function and how, you know, each church may have different qualities or characteristics and how uh, things things work. But it was, uh, we were still young going to LA. We we're, we were probably not even 30 years old yet. I mean, yeah. and so um, it was, it was very different working with a highly diverse community of people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in Asia, we were some of the oldest Christians, but now in LA, we were not really that old compared to some of the other disciples that were there. It was a real learning experience on how to uh, learn to become all things to more people, uh, both in the church and outside the church. And so, um, you Such know. Such a fun time, though. Yeah. The, Such a still great friends from those times. You know, certainly our L.A. church has been a flagship church for our movement for many, many years. And um yeah it was an honor being there uh but it was also also at the same time uh, very fast-paced uh very yeah we had to learn quite a bit and um uh you know lots of dreams lots of high expectations and uh we certainly you know grew a lot there yeah yep so from the central region of los angeles we moved to the inland empire which is, you know, way in the suburbs, off the 10 freeway. Right. Rancho yeah. Cucamonga. I remember you guys Cucamonga. lived there. Yeah. yeah. I thought, what kind of town is that, son? <laughs> what? That's where you live? I, yeah, it took me a while to learn how to spell that one. Yeah. But yes. This is, yeah. Yeah, we loved, you know, we were from the Central, and then we moved to the Inland Empire. We were there for about uh, eight years or so. Yeah. yeah. And uh, then from the Inland Empire, we uh, were asked to move to the West region. And so uh, we spent total 20 years in Los Angeles. Wow. And lots of great memories. Uh, you know, lots to see the church yeah. grow and, you know, birth pains and everything in between. Yeah, I think it was an, an invaluable time of training for us and building just these friendships and mentors that have helped us along the way. It was invaluable. I mean, we had elders around us. We had mature leaders. Um, 
We had a lot of our own friends, but it was just an invaluable time being in LA for 20 years. And, you know, we were there during the firestorm in 2003. Mm -hmm. That was difficult. It was a difficult time. And, you know, learning how to navigate through that with Alan Gloria and John and Nancy Mammel, that was just super and it's super important time of, of training. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what led you to Hawaii? How'd you get how'd you get to Hawaii? Yeah. The grace of God. The grace of God. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Yeah. yeah, it's so it's so it's so interesting. Like when Sal and I went on the Manila mission team back in 1989, you know, 28 of us were there at the San Francisco airport saying goodbye to our families, the two suitcase challenge. <laughs> And everyone's weeping, everyone's crying. We have no idea when we're ever going to see each other again. And um, and then when we were asked to come to Hawaii, nobody, no, one felt, no one felt sorry yeah, for us, right? No, 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 no tears, no tears. There's uh-uh. there no fan, there's nothing, right? No, no celebration whatsoever. Yeah, no one wept. There, there was no, nothing like that, so. Um, you know, that was back in 2012. And I think for us, it was a really interesting time for me spiritually, uh, because for me, there was a weird time for me spiritually. I felt like that my, my time had come to an end in the Los Angeles church there. And I think it had a lot to do with me just being in a a spiritual state of just wondering whether God wanted me and son to continue serving in the full-time ministry. Uh, I really started questioning whether this was the future plan, you know, for us to continue serving. And there were a lot of moving parts that were happening in the LA church at that time. Um, But I I really entertained leaving the full-time ministry uh, and to start, considering, you know, uh, other, other employment, other work. I mean, Son even started uh, looking into renewing her nursing boards uh, to um, nursing license. her nurse, nursing license. And so, and that's a funny thing too, right? I mean, Son left nursing to go into the ministry after about three months um, serving as a nurse. Her wow. parents didn't like that at all. I bet. Wow. Tens of thousands of dollars spent. But what I try to do is I try to get sick every week yes. just to keep her nursing skills. <laughs> that is another podcast about compliance. Yes. Patient compliance. Yeah, that's another <laughs> so it, yeah, it, was, it was a different time because uh, we, it was a time of wonder and uh, questioning God about the next stage of our life. And And then out of the blue, um, a conversation was brought to us about the possibility of uh, going to Hawaii. And we we didn't really have any kind of history or relationships with any of the Hawaiian churches. But I think it was a time in our life where um, any kind of mm, conversation like that, it we, we, I took that as like a kiss from God, mm. that God still wants us to serve in this capacity in some form. 
whether whether it be Hawaii or anywhere else, honestly, it was just a kiss from God. I just needed some heavenly affirmation that yeah. this is the, the door God wants us to go. And so yeah. that was in 2012. Yeah. And, you know, there were many, many people involved in what was happening. The churches in Hawaii, specifically Oahu, was going through some leadership transition and change. Yeah. I remember we came out uh, in July to interview with the church and uh, they offered us the job and I remember they kind of announced it like during church Scott Miyashiro had called us and offered us the job and I think we said yes and people are cheering and then we went back and told our church and <laughs> it was complete silence but you know we left, uh, we interviewed July, July, and we landed in August. So it was a month transition. But again, as Anthony said, it was just spiritual affirmation. You know, the 20 years that we spent in LA working, you know, just invaluable knowledge from working with elders, other region leaders, sector leaders, missionaries. Um, it was amazing to be able to bring back that to the Hawaiian island, to the Hawaiian islands, to the people here. It's an amazing, amazing church. We love it. Mm. Okay, so do you, do you guys have like a ministry philosophy? I, I know that I've talked to people who have been to the church there and they, they rave about your, your leadership. What is it that drives your, your ministry philosophy? Mm. Yeah, I think... Um, something that we've learned over the years is that leading a church is very, very similar to leading a family. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's, that's the model that we've tried to use our, most of our ministry life. And it hasn't always been that way because I think, I just think over the years we've learned that a church the church is a church family that has so many different um, variables and dynamics and emotions and needs and you know the, the family model to us is the the philosophy that we try to live by mm -hmm. um, yeah and, and to me I think of words like health, I think of spirituality, I think of love, I think of compassion, doing your best, you're good enough, um, the grace of God, the mercy of God. Right. Um, that's, you know, we've tried to build church more to be more like a hospital than a courtroom. Mm. And yeah, and I've, you know, I think we've had to learn how to be comfortable with who we are and not try to be someone else. Yeah. Um, I would say during the years, there was, I made a lot of mistakes. You know, I mean, the church was a sports team. The church was right. a business. You know, I mean, that's sort of the model that we were using or I was using. And it never felt right. And I, I do think you know, by the grace of God, through all those mistakes that I made, those challenges, I think the family model is the one that does work best because that's what I need. Mm -hmm. And that's what I needed from God. And that's why I became 
a Christian because of the grace of God. And so that's what God's people deserve. You know, they're, it's not about our kids being perfect. I don't love my kids because they're perfect. I love them because they're my kids. And so this family model that we've learned through, you know, just a lot of trials, challenges, and mistakes, it just makes sense. We're God's family. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, speaking of family, you know, you guys have two really wonderful boys who are both married. Um, and, you know, you really seem to have a tight-knit family. I think it's so cool that you're all in the same place. Mm. You know, the goal's right there. You know, we had that, and I want it back. Um, but what's what's the secret? What, what would you share in terms of your parenting, just the unity, the love that you guys have for each other? Mm. No, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I think... First of all, when we were asked to move to Hawaii, Chris was going to be a junior in high school. And he had was just a part of an awesome teen ministry there with Ruben Deanda. There's a lot of disciples at his school in Culver City. You know, he was, I think, one of the other disciples were going to be junior president. He was going to be junior vice president of his class. And we gave him the option. You can stay here, live with other disciples, graduate, you know, from high school with all your friends, or you can come live with us. And we gave him that choice. I mean, of course, we were hoping he would move with us. We knew he would be an amazing asset here. Um, But I I think when I think about my kids, um, okay, so... We we sent them a text. We're like, boys, what do you think it was? What do you think it is? <laughs> Good. Yeah. It is. And you know, it's one of them says supporting each other in whatever interests or life stages we're at, talking things through during tough times, being able to serve communities, being in each other's lives together and other people's lives, all of us loving Jesus. Um, I think, you know, Nick said that we had a calm home environment. And, you know, I, I do remember thinking I, I want a home and a family where the kids want to come home to. Mm-hmm. They want to come home. And you know how it is in the ministry. It's crazy. But I remember during that time, they'd come home from like three to four, three to five. I kind of just act like I was theirs. <laughs> you know, I cook dinner. I try not to have appointments, try not to be on the phone all the time. And Unless they were doing homework. Um, but I, I wanted an environment that they wanted to come home to. And it was interesting because Nick said I I felt like um our home was he called it a, a Hanai home, but like a second home to a lot of the kids, a lot of the teens. You know, we always had someone spending the night. We were always feeding, someone was always coming with us to an event. Um, but yeah, I think we wanted our family to be a place where the kids could bring their friends to and feel safe and where they wanted to come home. You know, it wasn't going to be that it's crazy enough in the world and the challenges in high school and middle school. Uh, We wanted a home that would be safe. Hmm. We weren't perfect by all means, by all means. Not at all. Not at all. And I, you know, that question, Pam, I think it's a great one. Gosh, what's the secret? I don't want to sound, um, cliche because of our spiritual podcast here but i mean 
the secret sauce is is God, and all credit and glory goes to Him. Yeah, because He has really taught Son of myself. Um, you know, He's taught us how we need to be. He's taught us the kind of environment we need to try to create for our family and our kids. I think that's been, you know, super important. I do think I am grateful for the hearts that God has given our boys. Uh, we we don't take that for granted that our, our kids are disciples and their awesome wives are Christians and we're very humbled by that. They live 12 minutes away from us. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I do, and I admire how they have developed and the decisions they've made as young people over the years. I, I'm grateful for the village of support that our family has received over the decades. Mm, yeah. um, we have not been the only ones to raise our kids. And I think over the years, Son and I have just tried hard to evolve with our kids over time uh, as parents, and we've done our best to lead by example, um, to apologize, to take our responsibility and where we've let them down. I think to stay emotionally connected with uh, our boys has been something that's been so helpful. I mean, they like, they still like hanging out with me, which I really <laughs> love that. Um, I think we've tried to evolve to be uh, super supportive and their biggest cheerleaders in life. Um, to really bring out the best in them. And as you mentioned, Robin, Pam, yeah, we we, uh, we feel so blessed that our family and even my mom and dad moved with us to yeah. Oahu back in 2012. And my dad has since passed uh, about uh, nine years ago. But my mom turned 90 years old this last Saturday. Wow. wow. She is still cranking for the Lord. Uh, she's part of what's called our G squad, the, the granny squad. <laughs> handfuls of, you know, uh, older sisters and widows yeah. and, and, and they are uh, passionate for the Lord, but yeah. it is a blessing that our yeah. whole family is here together. And I think one of the greatest joys that I'm experiencing as a dad right now is, is being able to be in Bible studies with my boys. Mm. We're helping other people become Christians. Wow. And I just, I just stop in the Bible studies as I get to listen to them just yeah. lift up God. And it is like surreal. It's mm -hmm. an out of body experience. And I'm just so grateful. And I think that's what we're trying to do as a family. We're mm -hmm. trying to build a legacy. We're trying to build a spiritual legacy where you know, not only we're we serving in the church together, we're trying to serve the community together, and we're we're trying to just impact as many people as possible. Yeah. So. Wow. There's a lot, I think there's a lot of answers to the secret sauce, but yeah. it really does. Yeah. It really does start with God, and we wow. are. We're indebted. We're indebted. We're yeah. Thankful. Well, wow. I think you guys convey a real, a real placid, calm, demeanor. Mm -hmm. I think it permeates the area where you, where you are, it's something I've noticed from, you know, 40 years ago, 35 years ago. And it's, it's really powerful. It's, it's, it's inspiring. What, what advice would you give to a person who wants to live a no regrets life, wants to make the most of this life, make it count? What would you tell them? You go first. 
Um, I love the phrase YOLO. It is old, but it is old. It's a little outdated, but you only live once and make it count. Um, you know, believe that your best days are ahead. And I think for Son and myself, as we, you know, enter our 60s, we still believe that our best days are ahead. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we want this next decade uh, to be the most impactful for God. Uh, we really believe that that's possible and that, you know, we have dreams to help other churches. We have dreams to become a modern day tent maker. We have dreams to help people become kingdom wealth builders, to give more, uh, to give more back to people, uh, to make a greater impact. But that's what I would say to anyone to advice. You know, we've got only a few short years to live on this globe and we only have one life to live and make it count, make it count for God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love that. You know? Yeah. You know, it was hard to choose one. <laughs> I think as a disciple to live a no regrets life is to remember that God is a God of abundance. He's not a God of scarcity. Mm. He wants to bless you. He wants, he is a good father He's a great father. He he wants to to meet your needs, and um, I, I think even for myself, I you know God was a scarce God. He wasn't giving out all the blessings all the time. He didn't want to bless me. You know, he I wasn't getting all the things um, that I had hoped for, dreamt for, and yet I think um, as an older disciple, just remembering that God is a God of abundance. Mm. And that, you know, Anthony, and I, Anthony, actually, Anthony has really helped me with this, and many in the church that we can live an abundant life with God. It doesn't have to be um, that we don't have enough, or, or we don't have what we want, or we won't be able to meet our dreams, or that God won't provide. God is the most amazing provider. And so I think when I think about a no regrets life as a disciple, remembering that God wants more for you than even what you've ever dreamed or imagined. Mm. Wow. That's powerful. That's awesome. So mm -hmm. you guys are planning on staying in Hawaii, I'm assuming, going forward? <laughs> where else could you retire? I mean, I don't know. I know. You're already in paradise. So. Right. Where do you go? Where do you go for vacation? Where do you retire? <laughs> right? <laughs> Exactly. I know. I, I mean, I, I, th I think when Jesus does come back, like all the disciples will have to go through Hawaii as the portal. Yes. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. Really appreciate it. It's just great to catch up again. I know we always spend time together whenever we see each other at conferences, whether it's Orlando. I remember in 2012, we were going to Tucson. You guys were going to Hawaii at that's during that same time period. And it's, it's great to see our our lives uh, parallel each other in terms of the mission. So all the best to you guys going forward. Love and respect yeah. you guys. Thank yeah, you love so you guys. Too. We love you. You're incredible. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd like to ask your help and support through one of the following. First of all, please hit the subscribe button. Secondly, 
let your friends know about the podcast. It's amazing how impacting it is. And when I hear people share, someone sent me a link to the podcast. And just recently it happened and man, it totally was a game changer. And so you don't know who you're going to impact just by simply sharing an episode that impacts you with a friend. It can totally change their life. Next, read and review one of my books, How to Plant and Grow a Church, which I'm currently reading right now. And then Courage, How to Make This Life Count. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.